welcome to the second ever Thinking Collaborate podcast, where we showcase the amazing work that our community of international trainers is engaged in to improve schools and organizations. I'm Carol Brooks Seminole, and I've worked as a teacher, a reading consultant, a trainer for cognitive coaching and adaptive schools, and for the past six years, a co-director for Thinking Collaborative. And I'm Doreen Yuri Marola, and I've worked as uh, an English teacher, department chair, co uh, content specialist, union officer, and um, training associate for Habits of Mind, Cognitive Coaching, and Adaptive Schools. And I've been a co-director with Carol for the six years that Carol has been a co-director. Hi, I'm Lisa Joseph, and I come to you from a snowy Colorado. I've been working with this organization for about 21 years, come this December, and I'm always able to gauge when I started because my youngest daughter was two at the time, and now she's 23. I began as an office manager and then was asked to join as a co-director for Thinking Collaborative a couple years ago. My main responsibility is to manage the Thinking Collaborative business activity daily. So today, in our second podcast, we have Phil Echoes, agency trainer for Adaptive Schools and on his way to becoming a cognitive coaching agency trainer uh, from Wake County Public Schools in Raleigh-Durham, North Carolina. As we will do with each episode, we'll ask Phil 11 questions based on Tim Ferriss's Tribe of Mentors format to get insights on his leadership, his use of adaptive schools and cognitive coaching, and how he's being innovative in the field of educational leadership. Phil, now we got you right here. Uh, please tell us a bit about your background and how you got into the field of education. Thank you all for having me. It's an honor to be on with you all um, for this episode. Um, just starting off with a little bit of information about myself. Uh, originally, I'm from a small town in Virginia called Martinsville. And most people know Martinsville from NASCAR. We have a short track there. And so if, if, if people have heard of Martinsville, that's usually where it's from. And um, really small town. Um, I, I grew up there, um, ended up moving back after undergrad to teach there. And I attended for undergrad, I went to Hampton University, a small historically black college in the Hampton Roads area of Virginia, majored in psychology. I moved back to my hometown of Martinsville and actually taught special ed for two years uh, at the same middle school that I attended um, when I was growing up. And from there, I furthered my education and got my master's in school counseling at Virginia Tech in Blacksburg, Virginia. And so I moved to North Carolina after graduating from, um, from getting my master's degree. And then I started work in school counseling. So I was a middle school counselor for 11 years. And that is where the bulk of my education experience has been. Uh, the, the plan was three years. I blinked and it was 11. Uh, and I just felt like middle school counseling was a calling for me. And that is where a lot of my, I feel like leadership capacity was built during that time. And I eventually transitioned into the position that I'm in now, the, the department that I'm in now in professional learning for Wake County Public Schools. And just to offer a little bit of scale around my school district, we are the 15th largest district in the nation. Uh, we have about 160,000 students, 11,000 teachers, and 192 schools 
total. And so my role now is in the Office of Professional Learning. My official title is Administrator of Professional Learning, and I support professional learning communities and coaching for our, our district. That's a huge role, 160,000 students, um, 11,000 teachers. Oh my gosh, keeps you busy. Very much, <laughs> very much so. So I think anybody that's worked in middle school for 11 years deserves a, a Purple Heart or a Medal of Honor, um, no question. And then sometimes I think working with um, adults is very much like that, <laughs> right? So how were you introduced to the work of Thinking Collaborative as the Director of Professional Learning uh, or how long before did it precede even that? It's a, it was, it was perfect timing. I will say it like that. I was right when I transitioned into my position in the department um, as a professional learning specialist, our district had just started implementing the work of adaptive schools and cognitive coaching. So the year was 2015. Um, I went back and checked my manuals, the learning guides to make sure I had the right year. So it was 2015 when I started with cognitive coaching and that January of 2016, when I started my journey, my personal journey with adaptive schools. And that is the same time that we were training all of our um, upper level leadership and central service um, leaders in adaptive schools and in cognitive coaching. And so our, the, our trainers, we had several trainers come in being such a large district with so many different sessions. Tony Prickett was one of the trailblazers for our work in the area, Sue Pressler, John Clark, and, um, and, and we ended up having an advanced adaptive schools later on. And I believe Carolyn came for that. Carolyn McCanders came um, for that. So uh, that, that was kind of the, my introduction of the work. And I continued seeing trainers and presentations at conferences like Learning Forward um, and even some of the work showing up at the uh, ASCD conferences too. So Wake County Public Schools was really looking for systemic change and an initiative that wasn't going to be hit or miss, but was going to be district-wide. So it was a mass infusion of exposure to adaptive schools and then cognitive coaching. Yes, it was, um, yes, a, a mass infusion. It was a, a lot of effort put into the initial implementation and lots of ongoing support and work still happening today. Yeah. So, so it's all that enhancement. Um, what ways, in what ways has this work of thinking collaborative really uh, changed your organization? Well, um, for starters, I'll say the, the norms of collaborative work have just become our evidences of collaboration. Um, that is how we see you know, when we attend meetings, when we sit in on professional learning community meetings, uh, for principals, administrators, and others to be able to know that that collaboration is happening. Uh, when we see those those norms at work, um, we know that 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 the adaptive schools work is now um, living in our organization. Um, some other things that we've done, and we're, we're looking at even changing policy for our district, 
and and changing some of the language to um, coincide with um, the professional learning communities policy that we have along with the the foundational components of adaptive schools. Um, Some other ways are just uh, many of the strategies, the facilitator moves and protocols are are best practices for um, running effective meetings, for professional learning delivery in our district. And it's very evident, the the work of adaptive schools, when you step into presentations, even virtually, even now in the virtual world that we're in, um, we just see a lot of different strategies and examples being like yellow light or finger minutes and just to name a couple of those practices of offering people time to process, recognizing that balancing participation um, is important, whether we're in a virtual or in-person face-to-face setting, um, many of those strategies are transferred over easily into the virtual space. So we're, we're still very much working on making this a part of our identity and where it, it sticks and is a part of who we are. But I think we're off to a really good, good start in gaining traction every day. So you're, you're in those beginning stages somewhat at the same time, though, it's really starting to become part of your organization, how you live into the work every day. And really it's about um, group expectations at this point uh, is becoming uh, a way of life. So it's starting to become the group identity, the system identity. Yes, it is. It it is very much a, a work in progress, but we are, we, we're definitely making strides towards it becoming a part of our, our system's identity. So really identifying that identity that becomes best practice. Yes. Yes. What dispositions and mindsets um, do you think make teachers and leaders most successful today? These are really unprecedented times, and you're talking about um, being able to do face-to-face and still be able to transfer skills and capacities and behaviors and values um, into an online format. But what dispositions and mindsets are really imperative today? I believe um, just embracing um, it, just the interdependence, recognizing that no one accomplishes anything alone, you know, regardless of, of how well someone does something, we can only take it to a certain level by ourselves. And when we, um, when we are working more closely together, that, that synergy happens. And when we recognize the things that we're trying to change in education or the goals that we have there, it's, it's almost impossible for us to accomplish these things individually. So that, that's one thing I would say. Um, another is just being flexible, um, having, making sure that that, that flexibility is a part of who we are individually. And as, as an organization, as a school district, um, recognizing that we, you know, must be open to different perspectives, um, new ways of being, new ways of doing, um, and just continuous improvement. Um, the, the, that is another area that I would say. The idea then of um, professional capital, social capital, cognitive capital, 
that together we're stronger and better than any one of us would be alone. And that mindset in order to, um, to achieve these end results really going to require collaboration and interdependence as one of your energy sources. And the yes. other is, is uh, another, you know, the, the energy source of um, flexibility, being open to multiple perspectives and multiple solutions, not having fixed mindsets. Yes. That those things will be saving graces for us as we continue to move through what, you know, is called liminal space or the neutral zone to yes. whatever the new normal yeah. is. And, and just recognizing, continuing what you were saying, just recognizing that that we, you know, we won't always agree, you know, and just, again, that sufficient consensus, just knowing that we are, that there are going to be times that we are not a hundred percent in agreement on things and on problems and, and, and how we should move forward, but just recognizing that we have to, that, that the, that the conversations are more rich when we are more open to those perspectives and just allowing the best ideas to, um, to surface. Embracing that cognitive conflict. Yes. You mentioned coming together, uh, valuing team. Um, this has been an interesting last eight months or so. Uh, what new belief, what new behaviors or habits uh, have most improved your professional and maybe your personal life? Um, it's a, this may sound a little cliche, but, I, but it is definitely something that surfaced over the past eight months for me. It just that saying of, it's not, it's not what you, it's not how many hours you put in, it's what you put into the hours. Yeah. And many times in education, we can, we can be busy with things, with a lot of different things, um, but if it's not the right work, then we're missing the mark. And so just, I, I guess for me, that belief was reaffirmed that um, we must be very intentional and strategic with um, the work that we're doing um, and you know, just just where we're putting our energy and efforts, especially especially now with, with as, as quickly as change things are changing and as rapidly as we must be able to respond, um, just doing the right work and, and, and making the best decisions with the information we have in front of us is imperative. So initially it's about exploring what the right work is, uh, discovering that and investing deeply in it. Yes. Yes. It, no matter how urgent things are, being able to pause long enough to make sure that it is the right work. So taking that time and not that knee-jerk reaction. It's about yeah. pausing and, and, and um, coming together as a team. Absolutely. Phil, as the director of professional learning, you must come, when you talk about the 11,000 teachers, you must come across some real superstars. You look at those people and you say, wow, they're going to make an impact in the field of education. Um, what advice would you give to one of those smart, driven, aspiring educators about how to enter the profession and make the most of it? 
And just and to clarify, I know my director may be listening, so I don't want her to think I'm taking her job. <laughs> I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm an administrator, uh, slightly slightly removed, one one step removed from director, but just for clarity's sake. Just okay, for, he, does, he doesn't want your job <laughs> if you're listening. Maybe <laughs> 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 <we> not today. <laughs> not today, not today. Um, advice that I would give to aspiring educators, um, I guess first and foremost, I would say, um, you know, constantly revisit your why, your purpose and your why. I think, you know, being in education for so long, um, you know, it can feel like in times of isolation, um, it can feel very much alone, like you floated away from where you should be. And you may have felt like you're down a path that you didn't intend to be down. And I think just staying connected to your why is so important um, so you don't get 15, 16 years in and, and recognize that um, your heart was somewhere else or your passion or purpose um, could have been somewhere else. Um, something else that I would say is um, to never stop growing um, yourself and your network. Just there's there's power, very similar to what we were talking about earlier with um, just interdependence and being flexible and open to new ways of doing and operating. I think as much as you can pour into um, yourself and grow your network to stay connected and fresh and innovative um, as times continue to change, um, that would be another um, piece of advice I, I would share. Um, and, and last but not least, it, it may sound small, but just keep keep an updated resume. <laughs> you get 16 years in and you you can easily forget some of the great things that you have done. And it's always important because you know, with, with those connections and as you grow yourself with the advice I was sharing earlier, it's always important to keep those frank things fresh and documented just so you can even look back over your year and, as an evidence of how you have grown and poured into um, yourself and the people around you. So lots of things um, around, you know, is when you talk about dilts, even beyond identity, that idea of mission, spirituality, the the why that is the impetus for the things that we do and being in touch with that and fine tuning that and kind of anchoring yourself to that will be something that will keep you where you need to where you need to go, um, it, the what is important, the how is important, but it's that why that's the driving force. And the other thing is um, believing in yourself in the sense that not taking the things that you do for granted, but documenting the things that you do, the person that you are becoming, and and uh, the things that you have done, and seeing them as marketable skills and um, making you a valuable addition to whatever role in education that you assume as you go through your career. Oh, yes, absolutely. Now, you've been in education for a while. Dorian and I both said that we've been in education for a while. And over those years, we've had those moments where things happen. We didn't plan. Um, some like to call them hiccups, some call them learning moments, um, some call them failures. 
what might be some of those learning moments that you've had that, that set you on that path to, to greater success? Uh, there, there have been many knee scrapes <laughs> along the way. <laughs> um, one, that, one that comes to mind, it was an event, this was a, it was a group effort um, of several districts in our area. We had come together to do some professional learning. All of the professional learning departments in each of these school districts had come together. We had brought in a trainer um, and all of the, all of the schools in our district were represented um, as well as all of the schools in these other four districts. So we had about 500 people um, in a country club ballroom at banquet seat tables, 500 people, and all the things that could possibly go wrong went wrong. Um, the microphone was was splotchy. One of the projectors wasn't working, so half of the people in the room couldn't see the, the slides. We had, um, there weren't any handouts. No handouts were prepared. We were hoping that everyone would be able to access them digitally. Um, it was not a lot of room for movement, so people were getting restless. It just, it seemed like all the things were going wrong. And 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 for me, I guess the lesson in all of that, you know, I ended up driving across town to Kinko's, getting copies made, and it was so much hustle and bustle. The 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 what I learned from that, or what I took away from that, um, was it's always important to have contingency plans, and that was early on in my professional learning career in the department. I think it was somewhere around my first or second year. So the one thing that came out of that was it's always good to have contingency plans and be prepared on multiple levels. And the other lesson I gathered from that, it, it, it felt like someone from all five districts was in charge. And, and so the lesson I took away from that was that when everyone is in charge, no one is in charge. And so those were just two really big takeaways, uh, just being prepared and, um, and, and distributing leadership. So it's about having a plan B, sometimes plan C, plan D, and then having clarity, you know, who's responsible for this. It's those last questions we ask at the end of the meeting, who's responsible for this and when will it be done and who's going to do it? Yes. I, that that workshop should have been an adaptive schools workshop. <laughs> <laughs> so if you could go back, you would reset that agenda. Yes. With a new with new content and a, a new purpose. Yeah. What, what did Edison say um, that he didn't have a thousand mistakes and making a or a thousand failures and making a light bulb? He just discovered all the ways you shouldn't do it. Right. So. Yes. It's still a learning experience. So, Phil, if you could have a gigantic billboard anywhere with anything on it, um, let's say metaphorically speaking, getting a message out to millions of or billions of people in education. Let's say you even had like an endless Twitter feed that could just touch everybody in the world because I know that's probably a medium that you would like a little bit more than a billboard. Um, but what would what would the message be? What would it say and why? It could be a few words or a paragraph. What would your broadcasted global message be to the people 
who work in the field of education. I have to, I wish I could take credit for the words that I'm about to say, but this, this quote comes from um, one of my favorite books, The Alchemist by Paulo Coelho, if you all are familiar with it. Mm-hmm. And in, in the book, there's a quote that reads, uh, when we strive to become better than we are, everything around us becomes better too. And I get, what that quote says to me and means to me is that, um, you know, personal improvement and continuous improvement um, you know, positively impacts those around us. But it's, it's one thing to show up polished and um, on task, but it's another thing to be transparent and allow others to see that growth happening. You know, it's one thing to be a leader and for the people around you to see you growing and learning and scraping your knee and getting up and encouraging others as opposed to just coming as a as a, a, a well-placed package. And so I guess that would be the, the biggest message for me is just, um, you know, just taking a look in the mirror, working on self, um, can just that is the one way that we can all have a greater impact on the world. We think about our reach, but just working on ourselves, it all starts with us. When we lift ourselves up, oftentimes we lift up, up others with us. And there's power in that. There's power also in being having humility and showing your vulnerability when you're going through that process and saying, you know what? I scraped my knee, but I'm still standing. And you're still standing too. Inspiring yes. for a leader. Yes. And we and those those ripple effects, like we are products of that type of leadership and those types of experiences from ages past you know it's like it's it's one thing it's in our dna but it's also um those messages um that resilience has been passed down um from generations and and interactions from the communities that have come before us so there's a legacy yes so we're all really our lived experiences um, both reference structure and that deep, that deep structure. You mentioned a moment ago, The Alchemist, as a book that influenced who you are. Um, what might be some other books that might have had an impact on your leadership? Uh, one book that I'll share, it, was, it is Strengths Finder. Um, and it is it has a lot of the it's foundational in the Gallup research and the book comes with an assessment that, that kicks out your, um, your top 10 strengths, really your top five strengths. And the, the purpose is there are 30, we have, there are 35 strengths and we have five that are specific to us. And that book, I would say changed my life and my leadership. I took it back in 2012 and I think the things that I learned about myself from that research and that work, this was even 
even before I was introduced to the work of, of thinking collaborative, it helped me recognize, it, it, it heightened my, my awareness to what my strengths were and how I might use them to really leverage um, my influence and the people around me that I worked with. So that, that was something that, um, that really changed me and propelled my, my leadership um, another book, which has a, another <laughs> another inventory with it, is the language the languages of appreciation in the workplace, and it's by Gary Chapman. And so, if you're familiar with the five love languages, um, Gary ended up writing a book for adapted for the workplace. And the the thing that really stood out and, and really changed my perspective on leadership and just appreciation. Uh, was the research behind how appreciation impacts productivity, how it improves productivity, how it decreases absenteeism and um, turnover. And I think all of those things, when we think about sustainable work and retention, uh, like all of the things in education and organizations in general, um, it, it was just something that really stuck with me. And me being a pe people person, um, it just helped me really think about how we are pouring into others and making people feel valued and appreciated in the workplace, especially as a leader. That was something important for me to read a little earlier on. So the first book, The Strengths Finder, really gave you some insight into who you are and how you best function and how you best serve. And then that second one um, really helped you recognize um, the language of, of, of love at work and um, how you can show appreciation and, and that appreciation, how it just folds into inspiration. Yes. Bill, right now, educators across the world, not even just in this country, educators across the world are looking for answers, right? Everybody, you know, what's next? What, what do we do? face-to-face, -face, hybrid, online. What do we do with grades? What do we do with this? What do we do with that? There's lots and lots of answers that they're, that they're looking for. What are the most important questions, though? So if you had to think of, right now, the most important questions ed educators should be asking right now, what would those be, Phil? Why are we doing this and why are we doing this this way? <laughs> those, those are the first two. <laughs> yeah. So focusing questions, right? Yes. <laughs> yes. Um, another that comes to, to mind is um, from a, with, with an equity lens. I mean, everything we do has an, has a, has an equity lens on it, but I would say um, who benefited who is benefiting and who is not benefiting. I think there are some things that have been revealed, um, you know, with COVID um, about inequitable practices and inequities. And I think, you know, those, uh, many of those things were already in, in at play, but I think this has just shined a, a microscope on it. And I think, you know, the more that we can ask that question of who is benefiting and who is not, um, and not just doing things the way that we've always done it, or looking at it from just a, a, an, an equal lens of everyone getting the exact same thing. Um, I think that is an important question to, 
to ask. So the questions around adaptivity and then the questions around equity, especially yes. about who, who um, as you said, who is benefiting and who is not, who, who's, who's got access, who doesn't have access. Yes. And how, and how do we, how do we make that right? Yes. Yes. What do we do? Once, once we have revealed, yes. Once we have revealed the answer of who, um, who's benefiting and who isn't. And I guess that next question being now, what do we do? What are some things that we can do about it? Mm -hmm. Well, following up on that, what do we do? Um, and knowing that the last eight months or so have been, you know, a little bit unsettling and also have the potential to change things. Uh, it helps us recognize things that need to be changed. Um, and then wondering how do we make those changes and then sustain them. So if you had a magic ball or a crystal ball, not a magic eight ball, a crystal ball, um, where do you see, where would you like the focus of edu education to be in the next five, 10 years? And, and these are the, the responses I'm going to share are wishful thinking with this, with this crystal ball and, um, you can even, dream Phil, you can dream. <laughs> and even thinking about some, some patterns and trends that I've seen, um, too, I, I would say, uh, definitely, uh, some, some innovative systems and changes coming from COVID. Um, I feel like school districts will be, begin to be less hierarchical and more flat, more team-based um, approaches to supports for schools, more co-teaching, um, more teaming, more crowdsourcing um, for materials and resources. I, and I know some of that is already happening now, but I just see more of that happening. Um, I, I also feel like more virtual schools um, will, will be out there. You know, I think it's we had, in our state, we have a North Carolina virtual public schools, which is across the state. But I think we will begin to see more more pockets of that happening and even the virtual public schools kind of growing um, and, and not just not just public, but in the, uh, charter schools as well. Um, I, I feel like with the trend of of, of how students and citizens can just have thriving careers and these new innovative jobs that are popping up every day. I feel like there's going to be a big shift from college and career ready to even just changing those things to career and college ready, just being more of a focus on career with uh, lots of different trade schools and um, pathways that students can take um, non-traditional to College, colleges and universities. Um, and, and another thing that I'm hopeful of is that we will we will see more educators of color. And, and why I say that is I think um, I, I think I, I have seen where many states in their strategic plans, they have um, strategies and goals of recruitment and retention of more teachers of color and just research. I'm showing how how schools benefit from just that racial diversity and um, ethnic diversity 
um, in the classroom. So those are just some things that I, I believe in and am hopeful of. So this went from a prediction to a magic wand. <laughs> and, and you're thinking that, you know, things need to be leveled. Um, we need to work together. We need to value each and every person that is on that team or in that classroom. And Absolutely. you also think that there's a lot we can learn from, from being online that find the best parts of that, find what works best and, and really use those to our benefit. And you also talked about a flip rather than college uh, career ready. It's that career and thinking about what really drives kids, what, what options they might have, what, what might be the most appropriate paths and putting it and maybe leveling that too and putting an emphasis on career so they can start focus on, on that as, as a, as a purpose. And then finally, you're really hopeful that, um, there's inclusion in leadership, in classrooms, um, having um, people of color who are offering uh, those early experiences to kids and making an impact so they can see that that is important to education, that administration sees that as important um, for their lives. Yes, very much. So Carol took you to the future with that question. And one of the lightning round questions that we want to ask you is, you have a time machine, you travel backwards to that little boy growing up in Martinsville. Is it Martinsville, Virginia? Yeah. Yes, okay. Martinsville. When you were a little boy in Martinsville, Virginia, what did you want to be when you were little? I, my my go-to answer was a lawyer. <laughs> Whenever someone asked me, well, what do you want to be when you grow up? Um, I always said lawyer. And um, it seemed like a, a, a prominent and respected profession that you could earn a decent living. And um, I guess as, as I grew older, I realized that, you know, it wasn't all about just um, Having a t having a title that other people thought was appropriate for you and pay, so that's what I would say. Wow. So you went from a traditionally well-paying, publicly respected or esteemed profession to knowing that that those trappings don't mean much. It goes back to the why that you talked about earlier. And finding your passion and pursuing your passion. And so stripping away those trappings of um, prestige and wealth, it got you going on the path to education. And, and of all things, counseling, where you could uh, make an impact both socially, emotionally with kids. Yes. Okay, second question, lightning round. We get to learn a little bit about you, Phil. This is a little bit out there. Um, what, what makes your skin crawl? Uh-oh, it broke up. Oh. She said, what makes your skin crawl? Oh, spiders. <laughs> mm. I can walk into a cobweb and I will lose it. it. I won't even, I don't even have to see the spider. If I just walk into a cobweb, you'll see a grown man lose it. You become yes. an instant ninja. 
Yes. <laughs> Three ninjas rolled into one. You know, I was in um, Zambia uh, last February, and they sent me a picture after I left of these natural spiders that are this big. Oh. Um, I'm glad I didn't know that before I went. Okay, Doreen, question three. Yeah, I, I love this question. Lisa Joseph came up with these questions, by the way. She, she decided that she was going to, like, produce by the minute a thousand questions today. And I love this one. So memory is seated predominantly at the heart, I think Tennessee Williams said. Um, and we know that senses really can anchor us, bring us back to that deep structure where memory is held. And the most uh, powerful sense to recollect a memory is the olfactory sense, the sense of smell. So what is your favorite smell in the whole world? Oh, in the whole world. Mm. No, connection to my mother. It's the gardenia. Uh, Favorite scent. Uh, we used to have a gardenia plant um, in the backyard of uh, my house, of our house in Martinsville. And so whenever I smell a gardenia, I think of my mother. So that's it. Oh, how sweet. That's beautiful. That's beautiful. Okay, last question, lightning round. Do you like or dislike surprises, Phil? And then tell us why. Uh, and it, it has to be either or. Yeah. <laughs> Play with it. Do, do whatever you want with that question. It, it depends. I, it, no, I'll go. I'll, I'll go with surprises. I, I won't. Yeah, I'll go with it. I I, I like <laughs> surprises. I like surprises. Um, they are. And, and I'll say now, like, especially given COVID, I like surprises. It's like Amazon packages showing up on your, your front <laughs> step. But those aren't really surprises because you ordered them. Uh, I, and I, the reason I like surprises is because they are, they lift your spirits. They are, for me, for someone who, who likes them, it is a, it's a, it's a pick-me-up. It's a pick-me-up. And sometimes you don't know you need it until you receive it. So it's that fresh, exciting new moment that you get. Yes. And the very fact that somebody was thinking about you and you didn't even know it. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Phil, thank you very much. Um, thank, and thank all of you who are listening to, the, to um, our second Thinking Collaborative podcast. Uh, we want to offer thanks to uh, Phil for all of the work that you've done thinking about this and planning this and then being here to participate in it. And also to Ryan uh, Gleason, who is in Las Virginas School District. I hope I said that right. In Calabas Calabasas, California. And Jill Hankey, who is also um, one of our tech initiators with Phil and Ryan. Uh, and Jill works for Sydney City um, School District in Ohio. We are indebted to you all, and we are grateful um, for everything that you have done for us and continue to do for us. 
And for those of you that are, are listening, please go to our website at thinkingcollaborative.com for myriad resources, uh, book recommendations and books for sale. Even um, you can find out books that some of our training associates and agency trainers um, have written. You'll find announcements about upcoming seminar opportunities. And as soon as um, COVID-19 departs from the planet, I hope sooner than later, um, you'll see uh, those seminars offerings increase. And follow us on Instagram or Twitter. And uh, it's at think underscore collab. We just uh, had a Twitter chat that Phil organized the other night that was lots of fun. Weren't you? Um, and I don't know if he knows this yet, but next week we're going to be interviewing Ryan Gleason, Director of Education and Leadership <laughs> for Las Virginas Unified School District in Calabasas, California. Um, I, I hope we didn't lose Ryan, or maybe he just quickly abandoned ship when he found out he was next. <laughs> we thought that would be a nice little surprise right at the end, Ryan. Yeah. So everyone, please join us. Next time, you'll get to hear the thinking of Ryan Gleason. So Last thank Christmas. you very much, and good evening.